Take your Bibles now, open them up to Luke chapter 3, verse 16. If you've ever done a study on the scriptures, on all the 316 scriptures, John 316 and 1 John 316 and 1 Timothy 316 and all the 316s, a lot of them are really good. This is a good one too, Luke 316, because it encapsulates John's modus operandi, his MO, his mode of operation, John the baptizer. He had been asked in verse 15, John the baptizer, 30 years old, six months elder than Jesus, the Christ. And he was asked, are you the Christ? Man, you're kind of crazy. You're eating locusts dipped in honey. You're preaching a message of conviction. You're, you're in, enrapturing audiences and gathering people to your name. Are you the one we're waiting for? Now, technically, they were waiting for the preparer. 400 years previously, Malachi had prophesied there would be a preparer, one who would pave the way, a forerunner. But when they said, are you more than that? Are you what we're looking for? He said, no, not at all. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're giving me your attention. Glad you're responding. But there is one greater than me. There is one bigger than me, one beyond me, one you do not want to miss. This is, I just want your mind to melt a little bit with me today. I want your whole persona to be impacted. Because John's was. John the baptizer, who knew Jesus. And when asked if it was all about him, if he had something more to share with the people, he said, no, 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 no. No, you crazy? There's another one coming. Do not miss him. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and the fire that he'll give you will purge you and change you from the inside out. I can baptize you with water. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So my kids say. I don't know why they say it, but it's kind of catchy. It's easy. I baptize you. No big deal. But what Christ offers to you. I was baptized by Frank Parrish here at the Newport Swimming Pool when I was 19 years old, and I'm thankful for that experience. But I don't wake up every single day calling Frank Parrish. Hey, Frank, remember me? You baptized me. What are we doing today, Frank? Hey, Frank, you baptized me. What should I do now? Give me my orders today, Frank. No, Frank and I don't communicate anymore. He's down in L.A. and doing world evangelism all over the place. I'm thankful for that. But who he baptized me in the name of, the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Ah, I'm connected. And I'm deeply impacted by and committed to. And John knew that. And in John and John's ministry here in Luke 3.16, he answers so profoundly, 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 you know it. You guys got to cut me some slack here. This is the first service. Here we go. I'm going to read and then pray. Let's read a couple verses until verse 22, maybe verse 23. John answered saying to all, I indeed baptized you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now just, 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 just. I'm not even sure what they really understood of the Holy Spirit at this time. That is God's presence. Now, the Spirit of God spoke and walked with men and women of the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't fully be given until Jesus died and was rose from the dead and gave himself omnisciently, all-knowingly, omnipresently, all-presently, all-powerly, all-powerly, everywhere. Yet John knew there's someone better than me, better than just legalism, better than just doing the right thing, better than confessing your sins only. It's not that hard to confess your sin. That is to agree with what you've done wrong. Okay, that's what our legal system's for. How do you plead? Uh, guilty. Okay, good. Because you are. 
Well, here's what he says in verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I love the ministry of Jesus as opposed to the ministry of legalism and religion and law. Not just pleading guilty, but he says he'll actually change it from the inside. He'll winnow out the chaff. He'll refine the fire from within. He'll change you and do something different. He'll gather the good and he'll remove the bad. Oh, this is so good. If you're a Christian here today, you need to realize and understand that you've committed your life to Christ in salvation. Woo! But he's committed himself to you in sanctification. And that celebratory response, woo, is a little more painful and confusing. I'm saved. Woo! I'm being sanctified. Winnowing fan. Chaff. Fire. He says, that's what I'm going to do to you. If you're like me, you would probably have voted, hey, how about this, Trinity? When people get saved, take them right to heaven. It'd be super fun. You could just see it happen. Give your life to Jesus Christ, and you'll be exodus from this crazy world. That would be awesome. You're off the committee, Luke. We're going to save souls once and for all. Done deal. Saved. And then what? Sanctification. Eventually, glorification. Sanctification is what's happening now, that as God is setting you apart, he's taking things out of you that don't belong in you, things that you were born with, things that you picked up along the way, things that you're holding onto and hiding still. He says, I'll get that. I can get that. No, no, nobody knows. We all know. We all know. And he promises you. It's a promise. I'll complete the work I began. I'll finish it. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, no matter how much stuff you're hiding right now. No matter how much stuff you think doesn't need to be dealt with, I will, in due season, it's good news, deal with it. I promise you. I promise you. And he says this is what he'll do. John can just baptize you. I can just get you a little wet, but you'll still come up a mess. Christ will fill you and change you. Matter of fact, verse 18, he goes on and says, and with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, that is the governor of the region, being rebuked by him, John the baptizer, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, that is the wife that he stole from his brother Philip, this adulterous mixed Geraldo Rivera relationship, steals his bro's wife, and for all the events which Herod had done, well, also, above all, the, added to this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. So John is preaching to the multitudes a generic message of repentance and salvation, but he also went on his Twitter platform there and tweeted a tweet against Herod and said, and Herod needs to let go of his bimbo wife and give him her back to Philip and get better with God and all this. And Herod didn't like that. Herod said, you can't tweet about me and call me out publicly. And he arrested him. Let me just tell you what happens. When the Holy Spirit convicts you through a person, you will either be arrested by the Holy Spirit, okay, and changed, and that's good news, or you will go on a rampage and seek to arrest others. You will seek to say, no, you, and you, and you, and you'll go crazy. Have you ever been poked before? And you, What do you do? You poke back? Well, I'll poke you even harder. Or you can say, yeah, that's, that's it. You got, the, you got it. And I want to have a soft heart when the Lord pokes me. And I see people, I've seen it myself, when I poke back and I rest and I go crazy. John called him on the carpet in what was normal, natural, and obvious to all. Hey, Herod, this is wrong. You're actually a Jew. You're supposed to be serving the king here. You're in Israel. This is all wrong. You're arrested. 
You ever had that conversation with somebody? Point out the stuff in their life, maybe, in truth and in love. Anyways, well, I want the stuff pointed out in my life. But I want to respond, not like Herod. We'll talk about him in a little bit. It says in verse 21, well, when all the people, now we're backing up because John's in jail, but now backing up, Luke records the story before John the baptizer gets arrested. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Most of you know this. You're familiar. Yeah, Jesus was baptized too. But this would have been nuts. Matter of fact, Luke doesn't record the argument that John the baptizer put up. But when John the baptizer sees Jesus, he's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not even supposed to touch his shoes. And Jesus, like, baptized me. He's like, no, 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 no. You baptized me, Jesus. How about we just reverse the roles? And Jesus says, no. In order that all things would be fulfilled, you baptize me. And John's like, this is crazy town. And he baptizes Jesus the Christ. We'll talk about that. Why did Jesus get baptized? This is a baptism of repentance for sinners. And Jesus, in his inaugural presentation of self to ministry, First thing I'm going to do is be baptized to identify with sinners because his entire ministry was to pay for the sins of the world. He was not a humanitarian trying to bring aid to those in poverty. It wasn't Jesus' primary goal. Maybe secondary, maybe even third. His primary purpose was to identify with sinners, live sin-free, then die for sin. The whole goal. Now, this, again, would be confusing to them. It's confusing to some, yet it's so clear to all. This is what he came to do. And it says in verse 22 that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Amazing. Verse 23, and this is where we'll somewhat end tonight or today. It says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Then it goes into his genealogy, dating all the way back to the son of God, Adam himself. Let's pray and ask God to open up our hearts and minds to Jesus Christ, that we might be more sanctified today than we already were, that we might be saved today if we have not yet been. So, Father, in your son's name and for his glory and in following his ministry, we present ourselves to you now and ask that the salvation process would be wholeheartedly accepted here. That if there's anybody in this house this morning that has not accepted you as their savior, they're still trying to be their own savior. May they see that that's not going to work. They can't do it, that they need to be saved. And would they submit to you in Jesus' name? And for the rest of us who are saved, ah, may we submit to that sanctification process. May you winnow out of us that which does not need to be there. May you refine through fire that which is holding us back. And may we be more zealous for the things of God. And we thank you for what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, I commit myself to you and ask for an anointing of infilling and for power to happen right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke continues to tell the story, and he's the greatest storyteller that I've ever read as he goes to great lengths at the beginning and the ending of Jesus' story to tell about Jesus. And one of the reasons why Luke is the greatest storyteller is because he's telling the greatest story about Jesus Christ. There is no greater story. It's what defines you and defines me. It's what changes the dating system of our whole system. It's what causes the cosmos to exist in totality. It's Jesus Christ. And I just say that to say this. Luke is telling us about this superhero, Jesus. Now, we all love superheroes, don't we? There's all kinds of superheroes, Marvel, comics, and all these superheroes. And they all have some superpower. Jesus' superpower is that he cannot die, 
and does live forever, and check this out, unlike all other superheroes, is able to share his power with others. Okay, like Superman's super legit. He can fly, and he can rescue people, but he can only ever do that himself. And if he flies with you or me, it's because he's holding on. If his hands get too full, he'll let go. He can't transfer that power to you or I. Christ, though, says, I'm going to not die. I'm going to live forever, and I'll give you the same glory. I'll share with you my power. He's the greatest, most influential person in the entire world. And so Luke goes into great length talking about him. And as we get into today's text, we leave off where we left off last week with Jesus being baptized as he begins his ministry. The baptism of Jesus Christ, that is the identification with you and I as sinners. Wouldn't it make sense if Jesus came not as a baby, but as a full-grown man on a white horse and just like slayed about a thousand people right when he showed up, bad guys, you know, just to like prove a point. It just would make sense. Like, oh, wow, this guy's totally in charge. This guy's totally in charge. Instead, he comes on a rescue mission for those bad guys. He says, I'll be born as a baby so I can identify with you in totality, full humanity, full deity. And then I'll live. And then when I'm baptized, it's in order that you would understand and not miss that I'm not just the guy with the sword and in charge, but I'm going to take your sins upon myself you guys have heard the term before from here and other places, imputation. This is double imputation, where Christ imputes our account with his righteousness and then takes our sins from him and imputes it to himself, and it's double imputation, this great exchange, this savior, this superpower. And it's all reflected at this very first introductory arrival that is at this baptism. I, just, I need you to grasp this, Bible students. How do you think Jesus should have started his ministry? How do you think Luke should have started? And then there's this man, Jesus. He worked at Starbucks. And he just started preaching to people and having a Bible study and playing guitar and people showed up. You know, well, how do you, what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to go to baptism and get baptized. Because his whole point was to absorb your sin in order that he might change you. Did you know that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he takes your sins and then begins to change you? So here's a question I have for you, especially those who've given your life to Jesus Christ. Have you changed into a different person since giving your life to Jesus Christ? Okay. I'm going to ask that question again. Most of you get it. Are, Are you a different person since you gave your life to Christ than you were before you gave your life to Christ? It is indicative that you become a different person Not by your power, but by his power in you, his commitment to you. And he gives you 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years to figure this out. It's called life. He says, hey, I'll take your sin. You're going to heaven. Cool. Now what? Well, I'm going to change you. I want you to continue to lay down things. I want you to continue to pick up attributes of me. I want you to grow more like me, and I want you to decrease less like yourself. John the baptizer would say in John 3.30, he, Christ, he's got to increase, and I've got to decrease. I'm so stoked I'm saved. I mean, are you not stoked you're saved? And occasionally I just forget, oh, cool, now what? And God's like, well, work, work. I increase, you decrease. That's what's happening next. And God's going to touch stuff in your life that says, no more. Set that down. Confess that. Repent of that. Deal with that. But I've tried to deal with this in the past. That's okay. That was the past. Now's the day. Now's the day that we're going to move forward. And so if you're the same person, 
as you were before you gave your life to Christ. You didn't do it right. You just, you just didn't do it right. It'd be like joining a gym, paying the membership fees, getting your card, pictures taken. Look at this, I'm a member of the gym. But you didn't do anything about it. And 30 days later, three months later, three years later, you haven't changed at all. You, you're not doing it right. When you become a member of the kingdom of heaven, he says, all right. There's a purpose now to your life, a purpose now. It's called sanctification. We often miss this part, but Jesus came to redeem us and then to change us. And his first at bat, if you would, is to identify with sinners. Jesus, though, had a front runner named John the Baptizer that would prepare the way uh, for him. So let's look at verse 16 again. It says, John, who's the forerunner, answers saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loosen. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John, as I mentioned last week, goes down in history as the greatest prophet to ever live. Not because he did great things, but because he spoke great things about Christ. He was able to connect people with Jesus. He pointed to him, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He's got to grow. I've got to disappear. When John was arrested, and he's arrested in this portion of scripture, he sends delegates from his prison cell before his head is taken off his body. And he says, go check in with Jesus one more time. Just make sure that he's the Christ. I just got to make sure I'm on the inside. I can't tell. Once I find out, I'm going to give all of that I've worked for to him, all of my disciples, everything I have. Everything is his. I'm, not, it's, I'm connecting everybody to Christ. And I love this passion that John had to, to connect people. And so I would just put the impetus that is the importance and the weight on you and I that if you guys have kids, okay, you, it's your responsibility, it's your goal to connect them to Christ. They need to be connected to Jesus. If, if you have a spouse, they need to be connected to Jesus. If you have a ministry, a small group, discipleship, accountability group, Sunday school, Ooh, your goal is to connect those people to Jesus, not your philosophy, not your ways, not your ideas. John said, it's all about Jesus. And here's the deal from this stage, looking this way. Did you know that if, if I connect you guys with Jesus Christ, if you leave here hooked on him, okay, essentially I've done my job and he's going to do the rest, essentially. But until you connect with Jesus, my job will never be done, ever. I could meet with you a hundred times a week. A thousand times a year, counseling, listening, praying for. And until you connect with Jesus, until you connect with Jesus Christ, until you hook into him, my job will never be done. But as soon as you and I connect to Jesus Christ, that work begins and we find ourselves on the pathway of sanctification. Because only he can change your heart. He doesn't just address the symptoms. So much counseling and medication and, and ideas and philosophies and, and practices just address the symptoms. This is going on, all these symptoms. Okay, well, let's, let's address those. And there's some temporary relief. Yet when you connect with Jesus, young people, not just religion, not just rules, not just your parents' faith, when you connect with Jesus Christ, he addresses everything from the inside out. And here's what he does in the ministry of those who are saved. Verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. And Jesus saves our souls from damnation, but then he fills us with his Holy Spirit for this purification process. This is a long-running relationship with Jesus, isn't it? 
I've been letting the Lord purify my heart and mind and motives, letting him. He's been doing it without my participation since age eight when I gave my life to him. But I've been doing it willingly and with a participant's heart since right around age 20 when I submitted to the Lord. I said, okay, you can have my life. Now I'm 38, so 18 years of sanctification of the Lord going through my heart and turning on various lights and attics and crawl spaces and databases and memory banks. And eventually, like, okay, we're done, right? Like, we're done. He's like, nah, I know you got a storage unit somewhere, bro. <laughs> you know, we're in your house. I know, we're, we're no, I know. You got, a, you got stuff hidden in the backyard, buried, and I, you got to believe right now that it's because the Lord loves you and is committed to this process. To convict you. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit's threefold job description in John 16, the Holy Spirit, God with us, he comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. What do you think the Holy Spirit's for? To give you power to perform miracles and do mighty wonders? He does that. His primary purpose in your life, though, is to touch on your sin, to speak of God's righteousness, and to warn you that there's a judgment to come. He loves you so much, he said, I'm going to give you a long lifespan to work this stuff out. And I'm going to give you my presence and my power. And I'm going to poke stuff and touch stuff. And I don't want you to react and respond the wrong way. It's like a winnowing fan blowing away the chaff. It's like a fire burning the things in your life that need to go away. Jesus is so gentle in this process, but also so thorough. Some of you, this is a scary message to hear because you know there's things that need to be dealt with. Others of you are veterans in this message. How many of you have been walking with the Lord long enough to realize he won't let you get away with anything? I'm not messing. I mean, you think you're hiding. No, you're not. It's just a matter of time. It's crazy town. The stuff that you think is just between you and you and you and the wall and you and the fence post and you and, listen, never true. It has never been true. It will surface. It will be dealt with. Why? Because God loves you so much. And his grace is sufficient for that need, for that sin, for that mistake. He says, if you're, you're harboring something, I'm not mad at you, I don't hate you, I'm not going to hit you, I'm not going to pound you. All of that was poured out on Jesus Christ. He was hit, he was pounded, he was hated for your sin. Now you just got to let me take it from you again and again and again and again. It's the process of sanctification and discipleship, living a disciplined life. So gentle yet so thorough and there's no way that he's going to let any stone go unturned so he's winnowing you right now what's your job what's your job let him do what he wants to do today even submit his way is the right way and your way is the wrong way the question is is can you handle that you eventually will because i've gone down the wrong way road enough times to realize i can't afford it I've chosen to do it my own. I'm just going to figure this out. I'm just going to go ahead and run this, you know, until the wheels fall off. And guess what happens? The wheels fall off. Okay. It's not cool. The, the Lord says, hey, I, I, I love you like a father would love his kids. And a good father and a good mother and a good parental unit would have rules for their kids. They would even have goals and they would have desires. and They would even have plans to bless their kids. Do these things and it'll go well for you. Disobey in these areas and you'll be in your room by yourself. And God is so faithful to just ask us to submit to him, lay down our own desires, 
and let him change us from the inside out. Now, God does change your desires over time. I asked you that a couple weeks ago. How many of you guys get a new want to, a new want to list? I just want to do this. I want to give. I want to share. I want to love. I want to forgive. And you're a Christian here. You've experienced that. Here's another question. How many of you are Christians and have new desires and new want tos, still have weird and old desires that you don't want anyone to know about? Any Christians in here that still have a desire for like the weird stuff? You're like, why do I still want that? I don't want that. I don't want I do want that. I don't, why do I want that? Hopefully nobody knows I want that. Listen, it's your old nature. And we bring it into subjection to the mirror of God's word. God says his word is a mirror. That is, it reflects who we are and we see. Just like you, when you woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror and the first thing you did was fix it. Remember? <laughs> you looked in the mirror, you're like, oh no. And you start fixing whatever you got left. That one tooth, you fixed it. You know, you got a, that one hair, you fixed it. Whatever it is you got to fix, you tried to fix it. God's word is so kind to you. He says, look in my word. I'm going to show you some stuff that needs to be fixed. It's not, I'm not mad at you. But this is why you're still alive. If you are still alive right now, you are saved and that cannot be changed. But your sanctification process is ongoing. Some, some people are looking for purpose in life. What do I do? What, what do I do now? What do I do with my life? How do I, what do I, what's the point? And we have all kinds of purposes that the world affords us. To become great at this or an expert at that. Better here. Work on your backswing. Work on your follow through. Work on your, you know, your knowledge, your, your Sudoku skills, you know. Work on whatever. You can work on it. And the Lord says, you know what I'm working on? Your eternal condition. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm into. God will use all that other stuff. But he allows you to go through life and situations to go through you in order to make you more like him. You guys have heard the illustration of a silversmith when he's purifying silver, right? You guys know this. And a raw piece of silver ored from the mountainside will be heated up to great temperature until it melts. And all of the dross within that silver burns away, just goes away. But there's some impurities left. And they actually rise to the top and the silversmith will let it cool. Just enough where it's just kind of separated. And he'll grab a pin and put it in the top of that silver, that molten silver. And grab it and pull it up and it'll pull away just the garbage. And he'll throw it away. And the silver has been close to purified. He lets it cool all the way. Then he repeats the process, heats it up again, molten silver, and all this stuff, and more impurities. Where'd they come from? Come to the surface, and he repeats this process over and over until finally the silversmith is able to look upon the silver and in that mirror see his own reflection. He can't see his own reflection until all the impurities are gone. So to the Lord says, I'm gonna give you some fires in your life. It's called a spouse. I'm going to give you some things in your life that will purify you. They're called kids. I'm going to give you some irritants in your life that will bring to the surface the dross. It's called your government. It's called your church. It's called your community members. It's called you. Whatever. Who cares? Everything and anything that squeezes you and prods you and pushes you and whatever this stuff comes out. And the Lord says, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm bringing it to the surface. Oh, but it hurts. You ever take a sliver out of your kid's hands? Gotta bring it to the surface and your kids cry and whine. And then you know as a parent, once I get this out, poof, ecstasy. And when the sliver's gone, it doesn't hurt anymore. The sliver's there. And the Lord says, that's stuff, man. Push it to the top. This is what I'm doing. This is the process of sanctification that God has for you. And I ask you a question, who here has desires for things that are still sinful and wrong? I, I do too. That's natural. It is but it's supernatural to let the Lord change you 
eventually causing you to look more like him. I'm so far from that. Like, I'm a super big fan of Jesus Christ. Like, I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple. He is awesome. But I am really not like him as much as I want to be. Would you agree? Not about me, about you. <laughs> Would you agree? Oh, Jesus, he's it. He's it. He's the, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes, man. But he's, he looks at me and says, just hang in there, Luke. I'm getting stuff out. And, and you're created in my image. And you're all flawed and all dinged up and all messed up. And I love you. But I'm going to make you different. I'm going to change you Th through fire and through winnowing flames and fans. And I'm going to poke you and things are going to come up. You're going to read my word and find out that's not, that's not okay. He wants me to let go of that? What? No way. It's legal. <laughs> you can move to a state or country and find anything legal. There's a, there's a country right now that will welcome you. Okay to do whatever you want to do. It's legal over there in crazy town, you know? Crazy town says it's okay. No. I'll tell you what. The Lord wants you and I to live in a lifestyle of repentance where repentance is not a big deal. This one thing we do, you know, on Sundays or every once in a while. But repentance, a lifestyle of repentance. Christians repent. Did you know that as a, as a, as a true sanctified Christian growing, you'll repent more and more and more and more, and sin less and less and less. The things that will bother you as you grow in your maturity will be so small compared to what used to bother you and derail you. The things that, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. Those things will be so small because of your sensitivity to the Lord and repentance all the time. I would encourage you, if you haven't repented lately, and just own your stuff, apologize for that, saying something dumb to your kids or to your spouse or just thinking something or being weird or being mean or whatever, just repent. Paul, the apostle, as he grew and grew and grew and grew, thought less and less and less and less of himself. As he got closer to the Lord and was more valuable and more impacting on the kingdom of God, he kept getting lower and lower and lower. He called himself the least of the apostles one time. And then a couple years later, he said, I'm actually less than the least of the apostles. And then finally, before he signed off, he said, you know what? If I'm going to be honest with you, I'm the chief of sinners. The, the closer you get to Christ, the, the more you repent over smaller things. Not in a groveling way. Ugh, Eeyore. Ugh. Depression. Doubt. Self-hatred, no, no, that's not, that's not repentance. Repentance, when David repented of his sins, he would worship right after. Hands raised, altars built, barbecue grills lit, partying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that repentance, let me just give you, I went through this a couple weeks ago, but I just feel it's important. Because when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it will lead to action. Because true repentance leads to change, not just saying sorry, really being sorry and meaning it. Herod, we see in verse 18, gets busted and doesn't change at all. Uh, here's seven things on repentance. You can jot these down or consider them, whichever one speaks to you. Repentance is changing, not just confessing that you need to. Okay, it's easy to say sorry and, and move on. This is what your kids do when they're in trouble. But they don't change. The other day, Noah uh, was helping Nemo not do bad stuff by slamming his foot in the car door. Nemo, you're not supposed to be in the car door. <laughs> you know, 
Dad, I'm just helping you out, keeping him out of the car, you know. So Nemo comes in with his legs, you know, severed. What's happening, you know, and so Nemo's hurting. I say, Noah, that's not your job. Come tell me if Nemo's doing something he shouldn't do. You, and and you, 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 you could have hurt him real bad. You actually did. So I need you to apologize to your brother. So, this is, so, so Noah walks over, his back to him, says, sorry, Nemo. You know? I said, no, no, no. No, you, you got to go over and, and look at him and say, sorry, Nemo. So he's like, sorry, Nemo. You know? And it's like, okay, okay, everyone time out, time out. <laughs> Teachable moment. I said, no, you need to go over there. Here's what I said, Noah, this is your brother. You, you care for his heart. You love him. He's your brother. You're in trouble right now, and that's not comfortable. But I need you to go over to him, and I need you to put your hand on his shoulder and look him in the eye. And tell him that you're sorry for trying to hurt him, trying to control him and apologize to him. Just it's hard. And so he goes, you know, and he's just like, okay, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And I, and I backed off. My tone was off by this time. I was getting weird too. And I said, hey, hey, hey. I said, no, look at me. I said, dude, we're, we're a team. We're a family. We're all in this together. Sin happens. We get, we get mad. We get rowdy. We get weird. I said, but you don't want to hurt him. He doesn't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt anybody. We just, we're on the same team. Let's repent. Let's go say sorry. You know, and repentance isn't just sorry that I got caught. Sorry that I'm in trouble. Sorry that you're mad. You ever said that before? <laughs> I'm sorry that you're mad right now, honey. That's not an apology. <laughs> That's a further fight. You just fought yourself another week in the doghouse. <laughs> I'm sorry you got offended. It's just that. Okay, time out. Whoa. We're really in trouble. Repentance is changing, not just confessing that you need to. And number two, repentance is not that worldly sorrow. Okay, you feel bad, but you don't change. It's feeling bad and getting better by God's help. Number three, repentance isn't pagan repentance. Okay, this is the pagan repentance that is fear-based. Well, I got to say sorry because things aren't going well for me. I got to say sorry so things get better for me. This kind of hex and voodoo spirit sort of deal. And I got to get God's favor again. That's not it either. That's not true repentance. Repentance isn't general, number four. Well, I'm just sorry for, you know, this general thing I've done wrong, okay? Nobody's perfect, and everyone makes mistakes, and I'll tell you what, one of the best ways to, to quell or to stop an argument is to specifically apologize for the exact offense, not making excuses, not sharing the blame, but own it in specificity, not in just generality. It'll be indicative of the condition of your own heart, but it'll also help the healing process moving forward. Number five, repentance is an excuse making. Man, you know, I'm just tired. I'm just really tired. Okay, we're all, we're all tired, okay? Uh, you know, I, just, I don't know what happened. I'm just, I, it's my Irish blood, you know? No, it's not. No, it's not. You know, I just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm Italian. I'm Italian. You know, we, get, we say what we want. I'm Italian, you know, or, or I'm from Toledo, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm from Toledo, you know? Whatever. Repentance isn't making excuses. It's, it's Repentance, number six, often leads to restitution, okay? Doing something to aid the healing. Okay, you can't pay back God for your sins, but you can indeed serve humanity once you've offended somebody. Repentance. Uh, number seven, conviction, conviction, I should say. Uh, convection oven is how you cook. Uh, convic conviction uh, leads to confessing either to God or someone else. And I went through that a couple weeks ago, so you have heard that before. Here's my question. Uh, for you right now, what do you need to confess that is sinful right now and wrong? Maybe an attitude, maybe, maybe an action, some, some sort of habit. And you got your excuses all, all lined up. Well, I'm going to deal with that. I'm totally going to deal with that. It's, I'm, you know, it's not, it's, if I wasn't here, then that wouldn't be you know, their fault, and I wouldn't and trust me. You know, once April 1st starts, oh, wait, 
darn it, you know, once February 1st, oh, darn it, you know, maybe January 1st, 2018, that's when I'm going to do it, you know. What do you need to just deal with today? What do, you need to do? what do you need to do? And here's the deal. You need to repent of those things for two main reasons. Number one, it's an act of worship to your God to own what he has said is unlawful and sinful and call it what it is. When you justify what God has called sin, you are arguing against God and he makes the rules. And when you decide to agree with him, say, yep, this is a problem, you worship him. It's an act of worship and submission to God. Yeah, this is a problem. I'm, I'm wrong. How hard is it to say that? It's not hard to say it if I'm going to get saved, but the Lord wants to lead you into sanctification. Here's the other reason why you need to repent of your stuff right now, now today. Not only is it an act of worship and submission and glory to your Savior, but if you don't, your sin's going to continue to hijack your life and stunt your growth and muddle your walk. The reason why God asks you to put things down, the reason why God asks you not to slam doors on people that you love, the reason why God asks you to separate yourself from this idea or habit or action is because he doesn't want it to destroy you. You know that sin will destroy you and will destroy me and will take us out and those sexual sins need to be dealt with and those money sins need to be dealt with. Those relationship sins need to be dealt with. That pride sin needs to be dealt with. You're saved. And the winnowing fan is blowing on you. It's an act of worship and it's also gonna save you from much pain moving forward. Remember Samson? Samson had such greatness written all over him. Yet he had such a problem with sin. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. God had great things for him, but he wouldn't repent. Even his own parents, telling him, dude, why are you doing this stuff? He's like, ah, I'm working on it. It's actually not that bad. And eventually he would be bound and he would be blinded and he would be grinded. The whole thing would tear him down. We have our excuses. I don't have time to go through them all because I, I want to keep moving. You can use a couple excuses, though. It's just, it's who I am. You ever use that excuse? This is who I am. Listen, God decides who you are. God gives you a new nature. You can say, this is how I feel. I feel this way. I feel this proclivity, this idea. Listen, your feelers are broken. Okay, you, we, you don't get to make the rules. My feeler, my feeler, I feel good today. I feel real bad today. Okay, are you the boss? No, no. God's declared greatness over me and the rules. I've tried to change, you might say. Listen, try until by God's power you succeed. Imagine if you didn't succeed at something, and so by that very failure, you just decided to succumb to that in all of your areas of your life. Oh, couldn't save money, never try again. Oh, couldn't make rent on time, never try again. Oh, I forgot to eat today, I'll never be able to eat again. You know, you, when you fail at something and you blow it, you, you're like, no, I'm not, I gotta figure this out. I gotta keep going. So too in spiritual things. I just can't stop this behavior, you will by God's power, eventually. Don't quit, don't succumb. God is gonna help you. You might even say something like, but society says it's okay. Look, can I just give you some logic? How's society doing right now? This is a good, you need to, for your critics out there, your thinkers, your liberal friends, well, you are just, you know, your God's so outdated in society. Okay, society, yeah. You got debt and divorce and death and carnage, chaos. $22 trillion in debt, our society. Yeah, we know what we're doing. We're fine. We're fine. Don't follow society's lead. <laughs> it's great. Listen, look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. 
We just saw this one little snippet, this winnowing fan of flame and this fire. That's just one. God will continue to labor with you as you move out from here. I'm so thankful. This service will be done and gone and you'll go. And God's going to continue to exhort you through many things. He'll never let you go until the work is completed. I'm so thankful. My job is to connect you with Jesus. It makes my job so much easier. Your job is to stay connected with him. He'll refine you. He'll touch that thing. He'll ask you to let go. Verse 19, Herod the Tetrarch, though being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, oh, he also added this, above all, that he shut him up in prison. Stop right there, eyes up here. This guy Herod's an idiot. He's in charge. He's living in sin. John calls him out specifically. The Holy Spirit's there convicting and his response is, is, arrest that guy. Just shut him up. I don't want to hear that. Get him off the stage. Get him out of the woods. Get him, bind him. You guys know this story that Herodias, this woman, had a daughter named Salome or Salome or something like that. She came in and did this provocative dance before Herod and his dudes, and Herod liked it. I read the story to my kids yesterday. My son Noah's like, what kind of dance was it? I was like, uh. <laughs> uh. Time out, you know. Herod liked it and said, hey, come on over here, Salome. What do, you, what do you want? Up to half my kingdom. I'll give you anything you want. And she went and talked to her mom, Herodias, who was feeling bad about her sin and said, well, I want to see John the baptizer's head on a platter. I want this guy killed. Now, the Bible says that Herod, this guy, Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, was actually bummed. He actually kind of liked John. He would have John come visit him from jail, and they would talk and stuff. The Holy Spirit was doing something, but this woman came in with her daughter and lust and all this. All, everything was built on a pile of rubble. And the next thing you know, oh man, here comes John the Baptist's dead head. He's dead. Crazy. Now let me just ask you a question. Is this what you would have signed up for in the ministry? Hey, I want you to be the forerunner to Christ. Really? Cool. I want you to fulfill Malachi's prophecy and Isaiah's prophecy. Really? Man, that's going to be awesome. Anything I should know? Uh, not going to take long. <laughs> couple months you'll be good okay i got a whole message i could preach on that i'm not going to about signing up for ministry and following jesus and laying your life down john john was okay with it fine with it do you know that herod antipas though this this guy he would eventually be exiled out of jerusalem nobody liked him he would make some more mistakes when you make one mistake that goes uncorrected you make more mistakes okay just word of knowledge he doesn't correct this mistake. He gets exiled. He dies in exile, separate from family and separate from power. When you don't deal with your sins, you too will be exiled from fellowship, and you will have no power and no real family. Not only that, did you know that your legacy will produce even greater mistakes if they're not dealt with now? It's just the rules. The next guy, his successor, Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa I would come on the scene, and Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12 would arrest James, John's brother. And he would put him in prison, and then he would cut him in half the long way. He would dismember him, his successor, Herod's successor. Church history says that the guy who actually did the execution was executed afterwards because he got saved during the process. While he killed James, he himself saw the faith that James had and gave him his life to Jesus and was killed also, church history. But when you don't deal with your stuff, you're going to be exiled, you're going to be powerless, you're going to be a mess, and then the people after you will follow suit. It gets weird. It's just the sandwich. This, the Bible is so cool, you guys. God is so faithful. Here's Jesus on the scene. First, first at bat, what are we going to do? Break bread, feed people, water into wine, dirty water into clean water, 
feels, no. I heard there's a baptism. Look at verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Stop right there, eyes up here. Immediately after this, Jesus will go into the desert and be tested by the devil for 40 days, tempted. Matthew chapter 4 details that, and so will the next chapter, Luke 4. Jesus steps on the scene. For 30 years, he's been living in Nazareth, and at age 30 is when a Nazarite or a priest would start their ministry. The book of Numbers tells us that. It's when King David began his ministry, age 30. Jesus shows up. As the savior of the world, first thing he does, sinners, are there gathering? I'll go with them. Sinners are being baptized? I'll be baptized with them. Technical fail, technical fail. Jesus, you're not a sinner. Why in the world would you do this? Because I'm going to identify with them and I'm going to submit to, listen, what the Father has sent me to do. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was not plan B or an afterthought. It was the prime goal, prime mission of Jesus Christ to pay for and save you and me. The whole, the whole deal, lest you be confused. They were. They didn't get it. When Jesus died on the cross, they're freaking out. I can't believe this happened. Pete, you were supposed to watch him. What'd you do? I tried to cut Malchus's head off. I only got his ear, you know? They couldn't handle it. Jesus gives us this book and says, hey, guys, the whole thing is for me to go deep into your problems. I, I came for you. I didn't just come to show a way, like religion. I came to be the way. And he shows us this through every ounce of his ministry. The very first thing he does shows up and gets baptized with sinners to identify with your sin, that your sin will kill you and bury you, but that through Christ you could find yourself living free. This is your meditation for the week, that Jesus knows you and wants to save you and wants to deliver you from your sins. He knows from the very beginning he showed up to this sinner's party and got baptized with them. Notice that at this time, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son, I'm well pleased in you. Now, the Bible never uses, for you students, the Bible never uses the word trinity. It's not in the Bible, okay? It's a made-up word to describe what's seen in the Bible. The word trinity doesn't show up in the scriptures, but the trinity is seen throughout, just in case you wonder. <laughs> Sorry. There are some who don't believe in the Trinity. I don't even know where you come to that conclusion. I don't know why you would come. You would never read the Bible and come to that conclusion. Instead, somebody would tell you a false truth and you would believe it for some weird reason. Maybe you had decaf that day. I don't know what happened. <laughs> there are some weird teachings out there. Did you know that there, every weird teaching that's out there would never be believed or come to without somebody telling you first? I'm just telling you, read the Bible. Okay. Why do people believe in the Trinity? Well, Jesus is God the Son, and then there's God the Father's voice, and then God the Holy Spirit descended. I don't know. It kind of looks like the Trinity to me. I'm not a Greek expert, but it's right there. Even in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says this, using this specific language. Let us make man in our image. Us and our are plural terms. God creating everything. Who's God saying? Let us make man in our image. Who's us and our? It's the Trinity. It's the Godhead. It's there. I just, it, it's, to me, it's, why are we even talking about this? Let's keep going. <laughs> Whatever you believe, though, let me say this. You better have a verse for it. Okay? Better be in the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible teaches the Bible. There are things that people believe that are so unbiblical, and I just 
Okay, well, until you want to submit to the Bible and what it teaches very clearly, notice also, lastly, that as Jesus goes to get baptized and comes up out of the water, this voice comes down from the Father saying, whoa, 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 that's the one I'm pleased in. Did you know that three times in the scriptures, an audible voice from heaven comes down and verifies and validates what Jesus is doing? And did you know that all three times heaven is opened up and words come down, it's in regards to the death of Jesus? That in John 12, Jesus is talking about his death, about how a grain of wheat cannot produce fruit unless it dies and goes into the ground. And the Bible says that heaven is opened up and the voice says, that's my son, I'm pleased. Did you know that the mountain of transfiguration, Matthew 17, Luke chapter 9, Jesus is up on the mountain and Moses and Elijah show up and they're dis discussing his decease or his exodus, his death. And Peter pipes up and says something stupid. And the father interrupts Peter and says, hey, quiet down. This is my son. Listen to him. Here's the application. I don't, know, I don't have time to talk about it. I'm just going to put it out there. Whenever the father was pleased, audibly, he's always pleased. But whenever he's pleased so much he couldn't hold back, it's when Jesus was talking about going through pictures of his death, burial, and resurrection. His denial of self. His ministry to others. If you want the father's approval, if you want to hear heaven's voice, if you want things to be more clear to you, quick question. Are you living in a lifestyle of self-denial or self-fulfillment? Now, this is a scary question for Americans. Okay, because we're, we're, we're taught to have self-fulfillment. Do this for yourself. Make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure of yourself. And I get all that. I get the healthy benefits of that. Making sure if you're not healthy, you can't serve in that way. I get that. But if you want heaven opened up and you want the pleasure of the Father... I promise you right now, it's going to come as you deny yourself and serve your spouse, as you deny yourself and serve your kiddos, as you deny yourself and serve your church, as you deny yourself and serve your community, as you deny yourself and serve your schools, as you serve, not just seek to be served. Jesus told his boys, you want to be the greatest? Become the servant of all. I'm going to, this is, you, got, you need to hear this. I need to hear this because I forget I've gone on mission trips and served the least of these and paid top dollar to do it, written big checks out of my money to go serve others. I mean, talk about upside down. You would think, well, I'm going to go serve them. They're going to pay me. How much do I get out of this? And in mission work, well, it's going to cost you three grand. You know, well, I'd like to help in this organization. What do I do? Well, you serve for free. Oh, interesting. Uh, you're going to get married. What's, what did you expect in marriage? You're going to die to self and serve this person. And helping their process of growth. Here's some kids. What do I get out of the kids? A lot of gray hair. <laughs> okay. Just a big mess. The whole thing's a mess. And yet it's an attitude adjustment. Jesus here gives himself over to serve. It says heaven was opened up during a time of prayer. A lot of people say, I don't hear from God. I don't receive. I'm, I'm not tracking with the things of heaven and I always just ask well how much time are you putting in on the front end again if you were a member of a gym but didn't go you would get no results but if you put time in you, you put work in if you're a student and you read books and memorize and write papers you're going to grow in your knowledge if, if you're an athlete you're going to get better at a sport the more time you put in if you're a Christian here God's asking you hey you want heaven opened up you want my pleasure okay you, you probably need to deny yourself you, you probably need to 
give of yourself. You probably need to go back to some of these things that Christ shows at the beginning of his ministry and then shows throughout his ministry and then dies for you and I to have our ministry. I'm going to have the worship team come up and help us to respond now in repentance and receiving of what God would have for us. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we do that together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your great love for us that you gave Jesus to us, not just to come down once and for all and just to die and then take us home, but this mysterious process of sanctification. And Holy Spirit, I trust you right now to make conviction and application to every man, every woman here. Everything that's going on in their lives that needs to be dealt with, it's gonna hold them back, That's gonna do them a disservice. Those secret sins, that stubbornness, that iniquity, Lord, no, there is no condemnation in Christ, but there is conviction. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, that you would be glorified, that we would be ministered to. So if you're here right now and you sense that the Holy Spirit is asking you to surrender something to him, to give up something for him, you know. Holy Spirit asks you to touch hearts right now. Selfishness, sexual immorality, bitterness, the sin of unforgiveness, pride, lack of humility, lack of empathy. Something I haven't mentioned, but you're thinking of right now. And if you would like to repent to the Lord and just say, yeah, it's me. Would you just raise your hand right now? Just repent. You're just, you're, you're just, you know you're not right. You're saved. Praise God, you're saved. But you need to repent today. Just raise your hand right now and repent. Say, yep, Lord, I know what I'm dealing with right now. And I repent. I repent. Raise your hand right now. Lord, we repent. Lord, I'm such a grouch. I'm just such a sinful man, such a mean-spirited person sometimes. So prideful. Lord, I'm so faithless at times. I just don't have the faith. I don't have the joy of the Lord. I repent in Jesus' name. Raise your hand right now if you, you just, you're a mess. Lord, we're your mess. We're your kids. Would you love us? Would you forgive us? Would you rain down upon us and cleanse us? Would you do away with the power of sin in our lives? Break it right now, Lord. Raise your hand right now if you need the power of sin to be broken in your life. There's an addiction, something you can't break on your own. You're, you're defeated in it. Raise your hand right now, Lord. I see your hand helping these, Lord. Break that sin, break that addiction in Jesus' name. May there be new life, new fruit, new growth, new vision in Jesus' name, Lord. Do a work, a cleansing work. Winnowing fan over us, fire through us. And as we come to the table, we do all of this because our price has been paid for. It's been paid for on the cross. Your death, burial, and resurrection is enough. Your identification with us as sinners. Your submission to the mission of salvation. We do what we do now in Jesus' name. Amen.